You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. Take out your scriptures. Find the book of Judges once again, chapter 1. Make your way to Judges, chapter 1. Yes, the smells are good wafting in. If I fail to mention it later, if you didn't bring anything today, that's to stay. Stick around. Eat with us today as our guest. Um, As you're on your way to Judges 1, we're going to be in verse 22. On your way there, let's take a picture from last week. Yeah, there it is. This is from Kalen. There he is. Hi, Kalen. Good morning. So, Kalen drew this. We were looking at just these first uh, 21 verses of the book of Judges and uh, the idea of going... They inquired of the Lord, go, for God has already given you the land. And then they went in, and Kalen drew one of the soldiers here. Maybe it was Othniel going to, going to get that city for, to get the daughter of Caleb. Maybe that was the case. Who knows? But thank you, Kalen, for being part of that. The other pictures are back there. Appreciate all you kids drawing and bringing those in, and uh, thank you for that. So hopefully you are here at Judges one twenty-two. And we're going to find some weird names as we, I'll try to pronounce them, but, you know, sometimes it's my guess as good as yours. On some of the names, some of the city names we're going to find here, um, we'll look at that in a little bit. As I read, listen for what's repeated, and you're going to just get the gist of what is going on here. So let's read God's Word together, starting Judges chapter 1, verse 22. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. The house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now, the name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city. We will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called its name Luz. That is its name to this day. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages, or Ta'anak and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Ibleam and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalal. So the Canaanites lived among them, but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Alab or of Akzib or of Helba or of Afik or of Rehob. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became subject to forced 
labor for them. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Heres, in Aijalon, and in Shaalbim. But the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. And the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabim, from Selah, and upward. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to this section with a lot of different names and places, we hear the repetition, they did not drive out. Lord, guide us to learn what your word has to say for us, even today as we look at what it said and what was going on in the time and place that it was, it was written and the events that are recorded here in your holy word. Spirit, we would just again pray that you would work on our hearts. Lord, there are, I imagine, a million distractions that might go through our heads as we even listen to a guy up here talk. We listen to a sermon. Lord, would you guide us to focus in where we need to hear from your word today to be encouraged and to be um, exhorted as we live out being disciples, followers of Christ. And so we pray this for our time together, that you would bless it, that your name would be exalted in what we see and what we think about. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this fall, we've had a couple uninvited guests in our house, really not welcome at all. And you're wondering, like, have I been to their house this fall? Um, One night, a couple of these happened while I was away. One night, there was a bat came into the bathroom. Um, I happened to be, I was just look, asking Hannah about the, I was like, yeah, I think I was away for that one. So we had a bat in our house. Another night, I happened to be away, and a mouse comes, our dog, Scarlet, brings a mouse into the house, a live, live specimen, into the house. And second uninvited guest, and just recently, we've had another uninvited guest, um, our fridge decided to leak some water, and we've had some mold to deal with. So these uninvited guests have come into our house, and obviously none of them are really welcome, right? They're not welcome guests. But here's a question. What if we made a deal? What if our household made a deal with these guests, like with the bat and the mouse and the mold? And we say, let's just try to coexist. Let's just try to do it together, Okay. It, it may work for a day or two, but pretty soon it's going to be, I don't know what the smell's like, but when a bat does whatever, it's going to smell like a bat in our house. And it's going to start to smell like a mouse. And we're going to probably start to get sick because of the mold. Because these uninvited guests continue to hang out where we're living. It's not unlike where we're at in the book of Judges and this section in particular. At first, this situation, what we read today, at first, you're not reading really anything super awful at the time. It doesn't seem maybe that bad. Nobody's harmed right away. There, there seems to be some sort of peaceful coexistence. You even see the enemies, they're, they're doing forced labor. There's something here. But it's here where we're at that I think we're at kind of the headwaters, if you will, of greater trouble to come in the book of Judges. Just kind of spoiler alert, it just doesn't get a lot better from here on out. It gets worse. 
So even as we just read, and I think as you're following along as what I read, we just find this progressive downward spiral even in the verses we just looked at here. Some of what we read, it's not unknown to us. As we went through Joshua, we heard a few of these same things that's not driving out. But it's brought out here. And again, this isn't giving all the inheritance, all the boundaries, all these... The writer is trying to teach something. There's some teaching going on. And it's forming really the foundation for the rest of this book. So let's start again. Look at verses 22 through 26. I'm not going to read them, but it begins... I think positively, you've got the house of Joseph. Now, how you delineate house of Joseph, and then you've got Manasseh and Ephraim later on as house of Joseph. I, I don't understand quite all of that, how it relates, but they're all kind of connected. But here, at least, we've got it focused on the house of Joseph going up against Bethel. Bethel. This place, if you've got, I handed out a map. I think we got this last week or the week before. I think it was last week. If you kept this with you, I'll refer to it a little bit. So, it's here. Bethel is some maybe 10 miles north of Jerusalem. If you can find that on your map, you'll know where this story is taking place. And it's a significant location. It's, it's a lot, I mean, perhaps in some ways, like maybe we think of Albert Lee, Minnesota. There, it's at a crossroads, this town of Bethel. Crossroads east and west, there's a road from Jericho going to the uh, coastline. And then there's a road going in the hill country north and south, just like Albert Lee. There's I, I won't say 70, but it's 90, right? 90, and then there's I-35 going. Kind of this crossroads place, that's Bethel. That's its ge- geography, kind of just where it is. But historically, this is, a, this is a famous town, historically throughout Scripture. We find Bethel near where Abraham, when he came into the land, where he pitched his tent, he, he first went to Shechem, the next place was Bethel. There's some history in this area. It, it's here that Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. You might remember it's where Jacob spent that night on his way to Padan Aram in order to find that, his wife from the people, his own people. And there, in a dream, remember he went to sleep on that stone? We just read, if you're reading through the Bible in two years, you read that. I don't know how you go to sleep on a stone, but you do. Put it under your head, and, and in, he has a dream. And in that dream, God reveals. He says, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. This is near Bethel. He says, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. So Jacob wakes, he says, this is none other than the house of God. And so he called the name of that place Bethel. Bet, house, El, God, house of God. So Bethel's got, it's got geographic significance, historical significance to Israel. But thus on with the text. And look at the last part of verse 22. They went up against Bethel in this line, and the Lord was with them. I'm going to just propose that verses 22 through it's 26, that we have a model of sorts of what victory in conquest, what it looks like. There's a sort of model as things deteriorate as we read the rest of this chapter. There's a, a, a model here. And the first part of that model, that example, I think are these words, the Lord was with 
them. If you have the presence of God with you, the, the God of angel armies, if His presence with, is with you, what do you have to fear? The, the answer is nothing. He's with you. If God is for us, who can be against us? So God's presence is key. It's foundational. One commentary said it's, it's the guarantee to victory at Bethel, that the Lord was with them. So that's foundational. But they also go, as we looked at, go, I've given, God says, but they're going. And so they go, and they, they send out spies to this city of Bethel, and they happen, the spies are scouting it out. They see a man coming out of the city. I don't, they pull him aside. I don't know what they, what they do with them, but they, hey, we'll make a deal with you. You show us the way in, and you go free. We'll let you and your family, no harm to you. And so he tells them, and they want to know which, how's, what's the way into the city. And he tells them. One commentator, I used him last week, uh, Davis is the, his last name, talks about them not just knowing the way into the city, but this, this language here of show us the way into the city is language like not just going through the city gate, like I think they could have figured that out. Oh, that's the gate. That's where. Like show us the secret. What's the... How do we get in? It's a fortified city. How do we get in there? This guy showed them. And so they go in, and so they put the city to the edge of the sword. And they also let the man go free, just like they had done with uh, Rahab back in Jericho. Same thing. They keep their end of the, bar- the, the bargain, the word. His man, they go free. They go off. He plants another city named Luz. I have no idea where that is, but he heads off. And, um, and so they take Bethel. I want you to look, though, significantly at verse 25. When that man showed them the way into the city, look at verse 25. I think these are really important words. It says, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. It's descriptive. They struck it with the edge of the sword. I did a, just a quick kind of search of other passages in the books prior to Judges. I believe this phrase here, this phrase, the edge of the sword, it's, it's synonymous with, it's like it's saying the same thing as they devoted that city to destruction, that they took it over. That in essence, they were doing what they were supposed to do to cities in this land. They were to devote them to destruction. Deuteronomy 7 of other places um, says when God gave them over to the Israelites, they were these cities, they were to devote them, that's the nations in the land, to complete destruction. In Joshua, you find them doing this to Jericho. They devoted uh, the, the city of Jericho to destruction with the edge of the sword. So this is what I'm, I'm assuming here, that Joseph, this, the house of Joseph went into Bethel and they destroyed the city with the edge of the sword. The Lord was with them and they obeyed with the sword. At least here in this instance. And they did not spare the sword. They dealt with the enemy. Now, the people of Joseph are going to return almost right at the end of this again. I don't know if it's kind of a wrap-up, but at least it's starting off kind of, again, hopeful here. But again, the, the downhill speed just picks up as we go. And so 
on the crest. The Lord's with them. They devoted it to destruction. But then we see things unravel. Look at the next set of verses, 27 through uh, 30. I want to read to you. And just because it's just fun to say the names, I'll just read it again, okay? But just listen again for the repetition. 27, Manasseh. So now we're, these are two of the tribes. Remember Joseph, his two sons, Manasseh, Ephraim, blessed, become part of, of Israel. Here they are. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth uh, Sheon, its villages, Ta'anak, its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblium and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. And this is interesting. Verse 28, when Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Nor did, what? Who's next? Ephraim. They did not drive out the Canaanites in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Or Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalal. So the Canaanites lived among them, but became subject to forced labor. Now, we're getting a lot of cities and their villages. It's interesting the Hebrew calls them their daughters. So I don't know, it's kind of made, maybe there's a major city and it's daughters of other villages around it. And we can be really, un, it's not like listing off, you know, Leroy, Adams, Spring Valley. We know these places. They're just kind of unknown to us. I want to give you just a quick idea in some of these places, but the main point is not to be able to pinpoint these on a map. But if you have your map handy, it's, it's good and interesting to see. This is not a localized, this is kind of throughout the land that we're seeing things happen here. Um, give you just an idea of where they're at. So Manasseh. Manasseh, if you look on your little map, it's near um, Jezreel, which I don't think is on your map. It's the Valley of Jezreel, but you can see Megiddo, Ta'anak, Dor. You kind of go up just midway on your map and a little bit left of where the big white box says Gideon. There you're kind of in in that area. So kind of north, northwest, a little southwest of the Sea of Galilee. That's Manasseh. Then you've got Ephraim. Now Ephraim's got more territory than this I don't know if you want to pronounce it geezer. I don't know if that's where the old geezer came. I don't think so. But you can pronounce it that way. Um, but it just lists out one town. Ephraim got a lot more, but it lists out this town because why? Because the author's trying to point to something. And hopefully you're coming along with that and, under, and seeing that. But Ephraim, again, had more territory, but Gezer... Uh, it's between, like, it would be, yeah, you've got it between Jerusalem and the coastline. If you go west out of Jerusalem, you come to Zorah and then Gezer out there. So that's kind of Ephraim. And then Zebulun. Zebulun's north. If you found where Manasseh was, if you go just a little north of that, that's kind of where Zebulun was with this Nahalal. And, and uh, I, I don't think I ever did find Kitron where that was. But that gives you some idea. Our question, though, is why this section? Why why these verses? And in a minute, you'll see why I stopped here. But why these verses? Davis, the commentator, he terms what we find here, and I love this term, theological geography. Theological geography. We're learning something about God and about the ways of man. We're studying something through the geography and what's listed here. The place names are good, but what do you see? You see the enemy persisting among the people of God. He's over and over. Israel did not drive out. And the Canaanites 
lived among them. The phrase is meant for the reader, I think, to take note. The enemy is dwelling among them. And it's going to form the foundation for the eventual collapse in, in the book itself. And eventually there's still, there's just, um, they're brought in eventually when, when Israel self goes into captivity. So failure here to fully drive out the enemy invites a dwelling place for the enemy. Failure to fully drive them out, you're seeing that, 27 through 30, invites them to just dwell among. Well, God had warned them of this in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Would you turn there quick? Just a couple books back to your left. Deuteronomy chapter 20. There's other places, think of warning here, but look at Deuteronomy 20. Moses, uh, in particular, verse 16 Moses is telling Israel, when you draw near to a city, go ahead, offer it terms of peace. If it makes war, then, then, then besiege it. But, but even then, just kill the males. Don't kill everybody. But this is not the case with the cities of the land that Israel is inheriting. So that's other nations, but the inheritance itself, that's a different story. And so look at what is... Um, for them to be done in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 20. But in the city, let's out, let me start at verse 16. But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. Which sounds harsh until we realize these were wicked nations. And God is not doing this. He says earlier in Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 7, even chapter 9, He's not doing this because Israel was so righteous. It's because of the wickedness of the land they were going into. So he says that. Let me continue. Verse 17. But you shall devote them to, there it is, complete destruction. The Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded. Why? Verse 18. That they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. You don't see, you know, if you can't do it, just make them do some forced labor. Put them to complete destruction. Judgment is going on, and it's a picture, really, I think, even of eternal judgment that will take place for the wicked. So here, forced labor, it's not an acceptable means for the people of Israel to take over this land. Complete destruction. Complete conquest. And so Davis comments here. He says the motivation for driving out the Canaanites was not pragmatic but spiritual. He goes on to say remaining Canaanites would not be so much a military threat. That's not the issue. It's they're a spiritual cancer. That's the danger of allowing them to stay. All right, well, we're back in Judges 1. Let's keep going downhill. Verse 31 through 33. Now, I want you to pay attention because there's a slight shift. See if you can see it here. 31. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Alab or of Oxib or of Helba or Afik or Rehob. So the Asherites lived 
among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. Again, many places are listed here. We're basically in, in both places kind of northwest of the Sea of Galilee. If you can find that place, that's this section for, um, for both Asher and Naphtali. That's where we're at on the map. But I want you to notice, and maybe you saw just one small little shift of detail that says we're going more downhill as we go. Look at verse 32. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites. Or verse 33, Naphtali. Let's see, verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out. And you see in that sentence, so they lived among the Canaanites. Remember the previous section, who was living among who? The Canaanites were at least living among them, among Israel, among the people. But now it's reversed. Israel seems to just be living among the Canaanites. It's almost like they've even taken over less of their inheritance. So failure to drive out the enemy completely invites the enemy to dominate. And that's, I think, what we see going on. And that which God says, drive out, it's for the good of His people. But they did not drive them out, and they end up living, and they end up dominating. Well, it, lastly, look at verse 34. as kind of the, the crowning, like the, the downhill. The Amorites... Now it's not even the Israelites listed first, right? Now it's just the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Harris, in Aijalon, and in Sha'albim. A little positive note, but the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them. Not Dan, the house of Joseph, and they became subject to forced labor. And then you've got the border of the Amorites running from the ascent of Akrabim from Selah and upward. According to Joshua 19, the very places listed for the Amorites here, this, this Mount Harris, Aijalon, Shalbim, this, is, this was to be Dan's inheritance. This is, this is Dan's land. And Dan is pressed away from his land. This is what Joshua said uh, 19 tells us a story. It says, when the, when the territory of the people of Dan was lost to them, that's what we just saw here, the people of Dan went up and fought against Lashem. Now this is going like 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. This is way far away, and we're going to see this later in, in Judges 18. But they went against Lashem. And after capturing it and striking it with the sword, they took possession of it and settled in it, calling, calling Lashem Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Dan according to their clans, these cities with their villages. The main point is that Dan didn't even take their original inheritance. Instead, it's Joseph here, not even Dan, that rested heavily on them. Dan didn't even put him to forced labor. You see just how the, the downhill goes here. Dan just, they appear in this list to be really the least faithful to take anything 
And that's what we see. So failure here to wield the sword leads to no inheritance at all. Israel spared the sword. There was a sword to be taken to this land. They spared it. They did not completely devote to destruction the wickedness that pervaded in the land they were living in. That's what we find in Judges. So, what? What about today? What's today? I don't think today God's asking us to devote any physical land to destruction. I'm not calling you, let's go make swords, let's go take some land, that idea. In fact, Jesus points out the land of wickedness, it's actually much closer than we think. It dwells closer. Jesus says, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. There's a land living right here. He says all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. You know, the people of Joseph had some temporary uh, wins at Bethel. It, it appears they took that city. But later on, we'll see that city. I think it's in Kings. And in that area, it becomes, it's a place of idolatry. It's because there's a heart. It's not just success in just taking over land. There's, there's a heart issue going on as well. So what can we take from this section then as we think about that? What do, what do we do with the sometimes uninvited guest or really maybe invited guest of sin in our lives or in our hearts? And I want to just apply two principles from Joseph that we saw here to our own lives as we think about this application for us. Number one, the Lord must be with us. And number two, we must cut off sin with the edge of the sword. So one, foundationally, the Lord must be with us. Number two, we must cut off sin with the edge of the sword. So the Lord must be with us. Wicked and sinful hearts like ours, we have no power. We have no strength to overcome sin and say, I'll do that, I'll overcome. It's by His grace. If we're in Christ, if we're born again, By His grace, sin no longer has, Romans 6, dominion, power. No longer. Look with me at the book of Colossians. I want you to head there. We won't go anywhere else. If you want to just head to Colossians, we'll just camp here just a bit. The book of Colossians in the New Testament. Find chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read it in just a little bit. Colossians 3. Here's what Paul has said before we get to what we're going to read in Colossians 3, 1. Paul has said this. said this to believers. He said, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. That's Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing 
over them in Him. So God has made us alive in Christ. And then look at what we see in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. Is that you? Have you been raised with Christ? If you have, then he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We'll get to that. But he says this, verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Is the Lord with you? Or are you with the Lord? Have you died? And it says you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ. That's God's presence. We are in a safe place in Christ. He's with us. Not because He likes what we do, because we just do all the right things and we've become righteous and we just, we just do all this. It's because of Christ that God is with us and we with Him. The Bible says we're reconciled. The enemy has been made reconciled, redeemed, made right with our God. We've got a foundation there in that. And so with that, as the Lord is with us, as we're followers, then we must cut off sin with the edge of the sword. You think of Jesus saying, if, if, your, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, or your foot, cut it off. It's to deal severely. Sin shall not be part of who you are. You're not that. You're not a slave to that anymore. You're free in Christ. So look further then. Look at Colossians 3, just in verses 5, just the next paragraph here. So what do we do? What does Paul say? Just do whatever you No, put to death. In the language of judges, put the edge of the sword to it. Devoted to destruction, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Is it sexual immorality? Is it impurity? Some sort of passion? Apart from the Lord? Evil desire? Are you coveting? That's idolatry? On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, right? But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. How? In the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put to death what is earthly in you, which may mean two things. One is to perhaps you need to take a sword to some outside influences in your life that you've been okay with. You said, well, they're forced labor. I've got them under control. That's what Israel maybe thought. At least, at least they're forced labor. And there's something around, maybe it's something with media or social media. Maybe it's a relationship or there's something 
around you that you need to just take, I mean, not a literal sword, spiritual sword and say, this is taking me away from worshiping my God. I don't know what it is for each of you. I trust the Spirit brings that out in all of our lives. Maybe it's something outside. Maybe it's something just within, within your own heart. Something's taken up residence. You're okay with a, l- a little immorality. It's just enough. I'm not, I'm not full-blown. I'm not all the way. I don't buy all the wrong magazines or watch the wrong movies. I'm just a little bit here and there. Just a little. A, l- a little. That's what judges. It's a little. A little forced labor and a little of this. When we spare the sword to cut off that sin, we invite guests to say, here's a home here. Take up some residence here. How will you deal with the influences of sin, both, both without and within? Two ways. One, run to the cross. Run to Christ. Don't let the sin go, I can't go to Christ anymore. That's why He came. Run to Christ and take a sword to that sin. Let's pray. Lord, perhaps someone today needs to know Jesus. They don't even know the King yet. I pray that there would be repentance. Lord, for the believers here that are following after You, for us who have let little things take up residence and be welcome guests instead of dealing with them with the sword. Lord, help us to sharpen our swords, which means we know Your Word, which means we know Christ, which means we say we're willing to cut it off. It may hurt momentarily, but You've called us to cut it off for our good. Empower us as a church to do that. Lord, help us to welcome people in our lives that are speaking into them saying, you got some forced labor going. you got some unwelcome guests, you need to deal with that. Help us to be humble enough to say, you're right. Lord, move in our lives that we not be okay with a little bit here and there. May we be devoted followers of Christ. We pray this and thank you, Lord, for the place and standing we have with you. Give us power to do all this by your Spirit. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.